Queer Comedy and Performance Festival, We're Funny That Way, still going strong after 20 years. I'm Maggie Casella. This week's guest tackles so many disciplines that we're doing a two-parter. Actor, poet, playwright, lyricist, comedian, and activist Kate Rigg performs solo and as one half of a duo with lyricist Hung called Slanty-Eyed Mama. So for part one, we hear some of Kate's stand-up and yak with her about why she left Toronto for Australia, then Australia for New York, living with PTAMD, that's post-traumatic Asian mom disorder, and how the gay agenda can be found everywhere, even in Pokemon. Then, in part two, we talk to Kate and Lyris and get treated to their music, poetry, and freestyling. So sit back and undo whatever it is that's making you have that scrunched-up look on your face. It's okay. You're allowed to pretty much let everything fly free right now. I know I am. Well, my things don't fly so much anymore. They sort of just sit. But still, there we go. Um, I am with the incredible Kate Rigg. You are here now in Toronto with me. My hometown. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. How was it for you growing up, uh, you know, as a, as a midtowner in downtown Toronto? And I liked a- it. I went, I went to high school at a place called Jarvis Collegiate, which yeah. at the time was in a kind of a questionable neighborhood, but it was also a really cool neighborhood. There were a lot of hookers, there were a lot of gays, there were a lot of pizza places, and you know, uh, uh, it was great. And so I grew up downtown, because like I you know, I took the subway to school every day and I was down there, and then when we hung out afterwards, it was like Eaton Center or you know, in the neighborhood playing video games at arcades. Mm-hmm. I played video games at arcades. Did you think you were different at all when you were growing up? Was there something different about you from the re- the rest of the kids that made you feel, I don't know, other? Uh, I mean, no, no more than anybody else's existential angst makes them feel other in in, in high those, school. In high yeah. school, you know, not particularly. No, I, I mean, I'm in a very positive mood today. Uh, you could ask me all these questions tomorrow and be like. Oh my God, it was so hard growing up Asian. All the white people were mean to me and I got called a chink all the time and it was really hard being queer and not having anywhere to go and being sort of, you know, gender non-conforming. But right now I'm in a really good mood. So I'm like, oh, everything was fine. Okay. Yeah, it was great. But none of that other my stuff life. is true. It's all true. It's all not true. I grew up in some very whitey white. I grew up in Moore Park, okay? Holy frickin' geez. A lot of garage sales and a lot of recycling. A lot of yarn ornaments, okay? And so... You know, I had to, I didn't have a lot of Asian friends growing up, so I really had to look for clues in my environment as to, you know, how to identify and how to get into my own Asian-ness, you know, like, I always had to look, I was looking for my cousins in the background of UNICEF commercials all the time, my mom would be like, oh, look, there's your cousin Siti, standing next to that nun with the, with the milk paste on her mouth, you know, so that kind of gave me a clue, and then also, my friends would come over. My friends would um, come over to play Barbies with me, or dolls, or whatever, you know, and, um, they would always ask me to give their doll a manicure or a pedicure. And I was like, that is so racist. Do I look Vietnamese to you? You see, it's a whole double-double reverse racism joke. You have to kind of get into it to really understand the cultural diaspora. And by the way, <laughs> Asians are extremely racist. I don't know if you know that. There's Asians. You know Asians of a certain generation are pretty freaking racist, okay? Like, you know, seriously, like... 
And not just normal racism, like against white people, black people, Latino people. No, no. Asians are racist against other kinds of Asians. You know, like Japanese people don't want to be called Chinese, and Chinese people don't want to be called Korean, and nobody wants to be called Filipino except for Mexicans trying to get their driver's licenses. So you have to really appreciate the world that I work in. My mom was super racist. My mom was like, I don't want to watch the Beijing Olympics. Too many ching-chongs, okay? So... Hence my career in identity comedy and my complete shame spiral that I'm in most of the time. Thank you very much. Um, Your mom has an interesting background, right? Yeah, she's, she came from Indonesia. She moved to Australia where she was a rock and roll DJ. And then she met my dad and they moved to Canada and uh, I grew up here. Yeah. And then as soon as I was old enough to run away from home, I went to Australia and left them in the dust. <sighs> Interesting. How, how did you uh, how did you find Australia after you left Toronto? I mean, it was super racist, yeah. and um, it was also super sexist. But weirdly, gay rights were extremely um, forward thinking there. Probably because it was more racist and sexist and homophobic. Also, of course, the gays were organized and they were proactive and they were joyful and they had lots of events all the time and. I used to hang out on Thursday nights at this drag club when I was in college. I went to college there, and that was the place. So I became a drag hag like that. Like, yeah. that was my thing. Yeah, and yeah. I would go there on Thursday nights. It was the most joyful and interesting and political place. And it was, you know, it was like Priscilla Queen of the Desert type drag queens. But is that where you sort of woke up to politics? Because you were a very political performer. It must have been in Australia. It must have been college. It must have been. Because, you know, that's when you start taking classes in history and politics and anthropology. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and then you become obnoxious about it. Right, because you know everything because now yeah. you're in college. Yeah, so. I wrote my first one-person show, which was called M slash other slash land. Motherland, but other <laughs> and land uh. and mm <laughs> in there as well. I should come clean. I am actually only half Asian. Um, I'm a rice cracker. Um, those of you who know me know that my mom's Asian, but my dad's a big fat white guy from Australia. He's a Caucasian, which is interesting because he put his cock in an Asian and they got me. But I, oh no! How did she turn Caucasian into a swear word? Ask Rachel Dolezal. Anyways. Um. Yeah, so I was in Australia, which as we discussed previously, was a little sexist and racist. And I thought, <laughs> you know, if I stay here every time, I'm an actor, yeah. first and foremost, poet slash actor. And I think, okay, I'm going to audition for the National Institute of Dramatic Art here. Because I was happy in Australia, actually. I really did like it. So anyways, um, I auditioned for the school. I got in and I deferred. I thought, mm, I'm not quite sure. Because I didn't want my career to be like, first Asian ever to do a Shakespeare play. First Asian ever to be on TV. First Asian ever. You know, I thought, I can't have my whole life carrying a picket sign. Right. Like, just Sometimes you just want to do as you like it. Right. And, in, and be in the community. Right. So I thought, let me go to the States and audition for some schools there. And uh, we'll see what happens. Dude, I mean, you got to Also, be... they called me fat. I forgot that. In Australia. You... Oh. When I auditioned, they're like, you have to lose 10 pounds before you get here. And I was like, hmm. Did your mother phone in? I've yeah. never lost that 10 pounds. I know. Did your mother phone ahead and <laughs> yeah, say? Yeah, she must have told them to say that. Because <laughs> you always talk about your mom and your weight. Oh, God. Um, well, she's dead now, so. But she's not dead in she your head. She's got nothing to say she's about that. She's not dead in your head. She's not dead in my head. I quote my mom a lot when I'm talking on stage. I think about my mom a lot because she passed away recently. It's okay. We have a very good relationship now. But she, um... <laughs> I have her voice in my head. I did when I was alive, and I do now, you know, in the after... You know, it's really powerful, an Asian mom's voice, okay? So those of you who are millennials have this to look forward to, okay? That's shit. Right now, it's saying to me... How come you are black all the time? So depressing. I hate your father. He looked like a pig. That's what my mother is saying to me right now. 
Um, but that, it really, like, impregnates your psyche, you know. It's sort of, it, it, I can't really explain the phenomenon. I see some Asians out there, and so unless you're adoptees, you can kind of relate. There's some over there. I see you sitting in the, yeah, oh, raising your hand. Very nice. <laughs> so, you know, uh, my mother used to do this thing, though, where she would, like, find a way. Asians and technology is a stereotype for a reason. She would find a way, like, when she wanted to get in touch with me, my phone would be ringing, my old fax machine would go off, the garage door would be going up and down, she'd be sending me messages and commenting on my Yelp page and commenting on my Facebook page, and I, even using AIM still, I don't even know, it would pop up on my screen, she'd ping me on my old Blackberry, it would ping me at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd answer her, and she'd be like, why are you still awake? It's 3 a.m. And I'm like, you just fucking pinged me, okay? I totally had PTAMD, post-traumatic Asian mom disorder. The entire time I was growing up. You know how Dr. Phil is always like, why are you still listening to your negative tapes? Like, why don't you just choose to grow up? Why do you still listen to your mother? Why do you choose to be fat? Why do you choose to just listen to your mother? Why don't you just grow up? Stop listening to your mother. Stop listening to those negative tapes. And I'm like, that would be great, Dr. Phil, except my negative tapes sound like a four foot eleven Godzilla, right? In a Chanel sunglasses and applique jean jacket, screaming really fucking loud like this, huh? How come you don't like Gwyneth Paltrow? Why don't you do ballet? Those are my negative tapes. <laughs> and it's hard sometimes, you know, when you, when you have those negative tapes to just do normal things, like when you drive a car. Yeah, that's why we have the bad reputation as bad drivers, okay? You try driving with a low blood sugar Asian woman screaming in your inner ear, like, all the time, okay? This is, how would you like it? This is what I hear when I'm driving. Turn left, no right, no left. Stupid double lane. You don't have to pick a lane. Pretend you don't speak English. Act defensive. Don't make eye contact. Why are you so fat? And when did you know you were an actor? Oh, in high school. Okay. I, knew, I knew a lot. I knew the first time I saw Gilda Radner and Whoopi Goldberg work. I knew I was that kind of actor. Because right. I think they're actors, too. Yeah. They're character comedians. They're actors. Yeah, you yeah. know, stand-up yeah, yeah. was later for me. And yeah. it was almost like stand-up comedy was sort of a personal challenge. Yeah. I was like, can I do it? And for a few years, I could not. Yeah. Because my brain doesn't naturally work that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm jokey. Yeah. But I'm long-form jokey. Yeah, you are long-form jokey, but also very brilliantly long-form jokey. If I had to choose a designation for myself, my letter is a new letter. I would be N for narcissexual. Um, what it means is if you're hot and you're into me, basically you have a shot and you get bonus points if you remind me of me. So that might also just be because I'm an actress. I don't know. I haven't gotten into it that much. Um, but anyways, you know, queer agendas kind of everywhere. It's a very, you know, it's a big, broad thing. And it's every, you can see it, like, everywhere. And I remember, you know, in the early 2000s, people were deconstructing herstory and stuff and really getting into finding the queer agenda. You know, everywhere in Hillary Clinton's pants and Ryan Seacrest's tear, everywhere, right? You can even find it in Pokemons. No, I'm serious. Do you know what Pokemons are, right? You know, they're those little Japanese anime cartoon characters, right? I got this book, okay, because I was shopping for my nieces and nephews, and they're really into Pokemons, and they were playing Pokemon Go, but they also have, you know, these picture books. And so this is a real book. This is not a... You look thoroughly bored, but you're going to be thrilled when I read this to you. I'm telling you. You're like, Pokemon, what the fuck's happening? I thought we were doing politics and cultural semiotics. We are. We are. Through the medium of Pokemon, okay? So... Um, the, my point is that it's really fascinating. This book was, is, you know, it's written by Tomaoki Imakuni, or as I like to call him, Yes Queen, Yes. I'm pretty sure this was Tomaoki's way of coming out to his parents, okay? Because you know, are there any Gaysians here tonight? Any of you gay and Asian? Anyone? You're not admitting it? I know you're out there. I know. 
they're afraid that their big brother parents are watching because it's more it is it's really shameful you know, some people tell their parents they're gay just to get out of going to medical school because <laughs> medical school is not a choice you know um so anyways um first of all the book is called come out squirtle I'm just going to read it, and you'll see if I'm being paranoid or if it's true. I'm going to read you this book real quick, okay? I'll just read you the, the... It's super short. It's one of those wooden books that floats in the bath, okay? You, I'm going to read it in a kind of a pigeon um, Asian accent just to, you know, bring us closer to the author's intention and because it's amusing, okay? So, um, Squirtle is this sort of turtle-like character, all right? And the first page says, Squirtle is afraid. Squirtle hide deep inside its shell. I am safe as long as I hide inside my shell. Okay, not too gay yet, not that gay. Squirtle looks outside from its shell and says the same thing over and over. It's really scary outside, I just know it is. Then someone walks right in front of Squirtle's shell. Who is that? Who has a flame on his tail? (laughs) The flaming tail thing says, come out Squirtle. Can't you see it's a beautiful day? I knew it was Charmander. Plip, plop, plip, it's starting to rain. Charmander, you said it was a beautiful day. (laughs) Oh, no. If the flame on my tail goes wet, it will go out. You see, you never know what's going to happen outside. So much safer inside my shell. Suddenly, everything is whirling and swirling before Squirtle's eyes. I feel dizzy. The whole world is spinning right round, baby, right round. Okay. (laughs) Then... This bear-like creature with leather gloves shows up and says, Hello in there. Come out, Squirtle. Squirtle says, Oh, the world wasn't spinning. I was just looking at the spiral on Polyworld's tummy. What? The rain has stopped already? I was just starting to have fun. I like my shell because the weather is always the same inside. So then the two characters double-team him over his shell, okay? So you've got the, the flamer. Hey, 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 the rain has stopped. Come out, Squirtle. No, 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 I don't want to come out. And then the, the bear says, what? Oh, look. I'm not going to look, and I'm never going to come out. It's incredible, Charmander. It's stupendous, Polyworld. No, I'm not going to come out, and I don't want to look, but what could be so incredible and so stupendous? Well, maybe I could peek out just a little, or I could peek out all the way. Okay, I'll be brave. Here I go. And then the squirtle comes out of its shell, and on the very last page is a giant fucking rainbow. (laughs) And it says, wow, I'm so glad I came out. Yeah, we're pretty happy she came out, too. That was the amazing Kate Riggs showing us her stand-up side at the We're Funny That Way Festival. Join us for part two of this episode when we have a chat with and are treated to the music, poetry, and freestyling of Slanty-Eyed Mama. That's Kate Rigg and Lyrice Hung, a duo like no other. All recorded live at the We're Funny That Way Festival. In the meantime, you can learn more about Kate's activism with Time's Up and her efforts supporting two young gay immigrants from Mexico by following her on all things social, on Twitter, at Kate Rigg, and on Facebook and Insta, at Kate Rigg NYC. You can also read her blog on Medium. The We're Funny That Way podcast is lovingly produced by Katie Ford and Maggie Casella, theme song sung by Deborah Barsha, with lyrics by Kate Rigg and music by Deborah Barsha. I'm Maggie Casella. He's funny, she's funny, they're funny, he's funny, I'm funny, you're funny. Funny that way, hey, hey.